Hello, everyone, and thank you for attending today's webinar, How to Meet the RDOF Challenge of Deploying Fiber in Rural Areas, sponsored by Amphenol Broadband Solutions. Before we begin, I want to cover a few housekeeping items. On the left-hand side of your screen is the Q&A. If you have any questions during the webcast, you can type your question into the Q&A box and submit them to our speakers. All questions will be saved, so if we don't get to answer you, we may follow up via email. At the bottom of your audience console are multiple application widgets you can use. If you have any technical difficulties, please click on the yellow help widget. Here you can find answers to common questions. A copy of today's slide deck is available for download in the green resource list widget. Towards the end of today's presentation, we'll ask you for your feedback. A survey is already open on your screen and will only take one minute to complete. Your feedback is extremely helpful. An on-demand version of the webcast will be available about one day after the event and can be accessed using the same audience link that was sent to you earlier today. I would now like to turn the event over to Light Reading's Cable and Video Practice Leader, Alan Bresnick. All right, thank you, Beth. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's Broadband World News webinar, which is entitled, How to Meet the Art of Challenge of Deploying Fiber in Rural Areas. As Beth mentioned, uh, my name is Alan Bresnick. I'm the Cable Video Practice Lead of Light Reading and a Contributing Analyst at Heavy Reading, which is the research arm of Light Reading. Based outside Toronto, I specialize in the cable, video, and broadband technology markets. I've put together this webinar in tandem with our sole sponsor, Amphenol, and their partner, Mears Group, Inc. We have a very instructive program for you today, uh, focusing on how Wireline network providers can make uh, the most of the U.S. government's Rural Digital Opportunity Fund, or RDOF program. In this session, we will look at where the RDOF program stands right now and delve into the lesson of logistics of carrying out a successful fiber network build-out in rural areas. We will examine the chief hurdles that stand in the way and recommend ways to overcome those obstacles. In particular, we will uh, discuss... Um, the construction and manufacturing steps the network providers and their vendor partners can take to bring RDOF projects to life. Uh, before we get started, please remember that the slides will advance automatically throughout the session. As Beth said, you can download a copy of the slides uh, at any time by clicking on the additional resources button, which is located below the presentation window. As usual, we will have an audience question and answer session at the end of this webinar. You can take part in the Q&A session. By asking questions at any time, just type your question into the Ask a Question area and then click the Submit button. We will also serve up two audience polls today, so we'll keep things moving briskly right along here. All right, so let's take a glance at our three main speakers today. After I quickly set the context for today's discussion, I will turn over the digital lectern to Jim Kane. Jim is Vice President of Sales and Product Management for Amphenol Broadband Solutions. He will join us from just outside Philadelphia, PA. Our next speaker will be Manesh Patel. Manesh is Vice President of Product Management and Engineering for Amphenol. Um, I'm having trouble reading this. Amphenol in um, Charles Industry. Yes. Thank you. He will join us from Schaumburg, Illinois. Our third and final presenter will be Todd Richard. Todd is Senior Vice President of Business Development for Mears Group, Inc. He will join us from Sarasota, Florida. Okay, so let's look at our agenda for today's session. Session, As usual, we have plenty to cover. Uh, first, I'm gonna give you a quick introduction to RDOF and a little bit of a market overview. And then we'll get into the presentation by the various uh, main speakers, 
the, uh, Jim will talk about the case for rural broadband and then the elements of successful network build. And then he'll be turning things over to Manesh to talk about the many challenges and the vendor's role. And at some point, Todd will come in to talk about moving towards success. And then we'll get into a panel discussion. We'll have our two audience polls and we will tackle questions from all of you out there. So uh, let's start by looking at the federal government's RDOF awards program. So far, after lengthy uh, public auction process, the FCC is doling out $9.2 billion in funding grants to 180 winning bidders, bidders including incumbent telcos, cable operators, electric cooperatives, uh, satellite operators, and fixed wireless providers. Uh, they're doing this to connect more than 4.2 million unserved homes and businesses throughout the country with broadband connections. Uh, this, that's all under phase one of the program. As you can see here from this map here, uh, the awards are particularly concentrated in the Southeast and Mid-Atlantic and Upper Midwestern states, but every state is well represented here. Plans call for the FCC to hand out up to another $11.2 billion in grants in phase two of the program later this decade. Overall, the feds intend to award more than $20 billion in funds over a 10-year period as the program goes forward. Okay, so now let's look at this chart shows the top 10 award winners in phase the phase one RDOF auction, which concluded in late November 2020, so about a, almost a year and a half ago. As shown here, the list of the biggest winners features a widely diverse range of uh, providers and companies, including large telcos like CenturyLink, Frontier, and Windstream, big cable operators like Charter Communications, ambitious fixed wireless providers like LTT, LTD Broadband, NextLink, Resound Networks, and Starry Broadband, and equally ambitious satellite players like SpaceX, not to mention electric co-ops like the Rural Electric Cooperative Consortium. Uh, Charter alone qualified to receive $1.2 billion in government support for deployments spanning about 1.1 million locations in 24 different states. And the RDF funds are just part of a much larger federal commitment to wire much of the country for broadband, relying heavily on fiber for much, if not most of it. The Bipartisan Infrastructure Act passed by Congress last fall, for instance, allocates about $66 billion in federal funding for bringing broadband to every corner of the U.S., and most of that will be done by fiber. To get a sense of how much fiber is out there already, let's take a look at some highlights from the Fiber Broadband Association's last annual study. FBA reported that fiber now passes over 60.5 million homes in the U.S. after growing 12% last year. Some 6.9 million homes were passed by fiber for the first time in 2021, representing the second biggest FTTH growth year ever in the U.S. Some 43% of U.S. homes, homes and an impressive 60% of Canadian households can now access fiber-enabled services. Thanks to these kinds of massive investments, these numbers will clearly keep spiking over the rest of the decade. In fact, the latest RVA fiber investment forecast for the Fiber Broadband Association calls for U.S. service providers to spend $125 billion over the next five years, which is more than any fiber funding to date. And, of course, federal funding is a huge factor in all that. 
Okay, that does it for me. So now let's turn to our first main presenter, Jim Kane from Amphenol. Welcome, Jim. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Alan. Certainly appreciate it, and certainly appreciate it. Light reading support in in this webinar, and uh, as Amphenol Broadband Solutions, we're very happy to be here. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm Jim Kane. I'm the VP of Sales and Product Management for for ABS, and my primary responsibility is for for leading Amphenol's efforts within the uh, the MSO sector with our customer base. Um, also, after myself, you're going to hear from Manesh Patel, who's the VP of Product Management and Engineering for Amphenol Charles. Um, Manesh brings a wealth of expertise and focus and, and long time uh, industry knowledge uh, around the outside plant portfolio. And then lastly, but not least is, is Todd Richard, SVP of business development uh, for Mears Group. Uh, we're definitely have the, the pleasure of having uh, Todd join us as well today as one of the leading engineering construction infrastructure firms. So with that said, I will not linger too long. Um, so let's look at the premise first. What is RDOF about and what are some of the pieces around it? So when we look at RDOF, it, it, the success requires that responsible equipment and construction vendors take an active role in addressing not only the need for products and technology, but perhaps more importantly, in minimizing the unique challenges encountered in rural deployments. So what's that mean? Really, it's a broad brush statement in many ways, but of course the goal of RDOF, it's, it's extremely positive for those that are underserved from a broadband perspective. Uh, but it also brings unique challenges and opportunities for vendors and operators. Uh, it, it certainly requires a strong working relationship between the RDOF providers and their vendors or integrator partners. And really today's goal is not to really to, to go into the overall awards that, that Alan touched on um, or to dive into the technologies um, or specific spend, but, but really the factors that, that are unique and also some of the factors that will lead to success. Uh, when you look at it as well, Manish and Todd, will, they'll outline some of the main areas and present both opportunities and challenges from both a vendor and service provider community. Okay. So looking at the discussion roadmap, uh, we're gonna look at the case for RDOF, uh, really, you know, some of the few contributing factors that validate the $20.4 billion of investment over 10 years. Uh, number two, the elements for a successful network build. Uh, what's the mixture of major categories? You know, those mixtures of major categories are required um, for RDOF providers to achieve the goals and targets. So we'll look at some of those categories. Obviously, as I just referred to, the major challenges. Um, there's many of them. Uh, Manesh will outline a unique set of challenges and obstacles from both the vendors and the RDOP provider perspective. And then the vendor's role. Uh, really the vendor's role, it's, it's, the, it's the broker a collaboration, a partnership. And with that, uh, conjunction with timelines, forecasting, production, logistics, uh, with the service providers and the RDOP winners. And then lastly, you know, moving towards success. Now, Todd will review the engineering and the construction side, the supply chain, what are the associated challenges and the potential actions. So as we move into the case for rural broadband, uh, you know, the graphic on the right says 60 million Americans cannot access broadband adequately today. Uh, I think the latest figures as of a few weeks ago is somewhere between 42 and 60, seems to shift um, depending on deployments and depending on some of the data you acquire. Uh, but some of the factors and some of the cases for rural broadband, uh, when you look at it, is one, housing costs are escalating rapidly in overcrowded cities. What's that mean? 
when you look at the accelerating costs and, and really what the pandemic created, it created a shift. Uh, just to give a, a brief example to not go too deep is really a 15% swing uh, occurred in one year for 18 to 34 year olds in which now 39% of that age group prefer a rural setting compared to a city. So we've seen a kind of a combination of the, the accelerating cost in conjunction with the pandemic change that mindset and certainly have some folks in that age bracket wanting to move out of the cities more to a rural environment. Number two, agriculture output increases through advancing technology through the IoT, the Internet of Things. Uh, some research looks at it and says about a minimum of 100 megabits per farm is required. Um, as we're all aware, that farmer is probably not sitting at his computer. Uh, he's out in the fields, out working. So with that goes hand in hand would be a wireless network of sensors across the farm. And whether it's detecting some soil moisture, looking at the weather, or if Bessie the cow strayed too far, but actually for Bessie as well, there could be a biosensor in which it's evaluating the cow's ovulation cycles. So really it's just a whole host of, of different ideas and different technologies that, that are gonna enable through the IOT from agriculture aspect. Uh, third, remote learning brings educational resources to roughly 20% of US population that lives in rural areas. So what can, so what's that mean as well? So it, this access or this RDOF and broadband access, it, it, it really addresses the teacher shortages it can expand course offerings and supplement rural attendance. Uh, and some of those challenges are associated, distance, transportation, you know, other factors are, that are incorporated. And then lastly, you know, long commutes eliminated preserving natural resources. So RDOF will push broadband further away from the population centers, of course. And it'll just be easier for those that live beyond those traditional suburbs and in rural areas to telecommute. Uh, so, you know, therefore preserving natural resources. So a successful RDOF build, you know, when you look at this and, and on the screen, it's, it really breaks down to four critical building blocks when you look at it from a, a broadband service provider perspective. So seasoned engineering, you know, really a partner and partnership in specifications and that network design, which is critical. You know, number two, solid technology. You know, this network design and it's what's being engineered really needs to be based off of proven and reliable fiber in the home architectures um, for RDOF to succeed. Third piece would be competent construction. You know, when competent construction, you want experienced firms that can address the labor and the timelines required, especially with the federal funding. And then lastly, reliable vendors. When it comes down to a reliable vendor, you know, you of course want to partner in cost efficient, high quality solutions but also you want expertise and resources to address the RDOF in this current environment, um, in which Manesh will talk more about the supply chain and some of the challenges, but certainly it will take takes that expertise uh, to really navigate today's day. Okay. And with that said, I will turn that over back to Alan. All right, excellent, Jim. Thanks for getting us started there. And I have a quick correction for everybody. I said 4.2 million unserved homes. RDOF is the phase one is supposed to reach. It's actually 5.2 million. So I add, add another million to the figure that I gave you before. Okay, so now it's time for our first audience poll question. It should be up on your screen. Question is, what do you see as the largest challenge in deploying broadband to rural areas? I'll give you six choices. Please select one. 
Six choices are technology. Second is supply chain. Third is engineering slash planning. Fourth is construction. Fifth is bureaucracy. And six is the ubiquitous other. Uh, now I'll take the on 24 system a minute or so to compile all the results. So while we're waiting for that. Let's uh, keep Jim around and maybe bring in Manesh as well for a quick question. Um, so gentlemen, what uh, factors besides supply chain uh, do you expect to see as the, uh, do you see as the biggest challenges? Sure, you know, I'll, I'll answer that one first and let Manesh chime in. Okay, thanks, Jim. So one of the, one of the big pieces that you would look at would be a shift in the RDOP architecture during that deployment. Mm -hmm. So once you're working with an operator and designs and the architecture is decided on and production deployment begins, um, any slight product chain or variance, it could be something as, as minor as the number of ports or the length of, of a particular uh, cable. Um, just minor variances, especially in this current environment, uh, could be a huge factor that would, that would impact a manufacturer's performance at this time. Okay, thanks, Jim. Manesh, did you want to say a word or two about this as well? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the biggest challenge comes down to planning. And uh, the planning starts with architecture selection. And uh, you start off, and I'll talk about this here in, in, in a couple slides, but um, you, you start off in one direction, and in this environment, you find problems downstream. So what used to be a, hey, you plan the architecture and, and you move forward, uh, is now an iterative process. So that, that's one of the, the biggest challenges. And, and those those challenges also then cascade down into the supply chain. Okay, so let's, thanks, thank you both. So let's see what we have here as the results. Um, we'll have to just push it onto the big screen here. Let's see if we can, yeah, there we go. Okay, uh, I went off video just because it's easier for me to read the results, but clearly I'm still here. Um, the leading challenges, it looks like a tie between uh, construction and bureaucracy, both at about close to 31%, and coming in third with supply chain at 22%. Okay. Um, is this about what you expected, gentlemen, or did you think it was going to be uh, different from that? lines with uh, my expectations. Uh, I think we certainly see challenges across the board. Uh, we've had, uh, we're in an environment where with every change in administration, uh, we have different uh, fundamentals on mm -hmm. how we want to approach the industry. So uh, it, it creates a challenge for uh, business plans to have to pay back within a certain interval before there's another potential for the uh, regulatory environment to change. Okay, all right, thanks Manesh. And thanks for, for everyone out there for participating in the poll. All right, so now we're gonna go back to the presentation with, with Manesh. So uh, Manesh, hi again, thanks for joining us and let's get into the challenges. And I just went too far with your slide, there you go. Yeah, thank you, Alan. So, there are many challenges, and there's always challenges with network deployment. Uh, however, uh, you could be successful um, prior to the pandemic and, and the current environment. You could be successful kind of selecting your architecture and, and planning out the technology, uh, and then kind of engaging your the rest of your organization to go procure materials, start the actual engineering and planning, and, and 
your construction staff can, can get the uh, personnel in place. Uh, however, as I just said uh, a, a few minutes ago, this whole process is now iterative because of the challenges that we've had. We've, we've seen the, uh, the supply chain uh, being taxed uh, significantly. Uh, one, because we're coming out of the pandemic and two, we've had some events that have really identified some weaknesses in the, in the supply chain. Uh, the storms that we had in Texas really took out the plastic supply chain. Uh, we've had uh, geopolitical issues that have caused uh, material costs to, uh, to skyrocket. And uh, it, it all starts to, to play a significant factor in what's available and when. Um, the technologies that are available today are, are fantastic, right? We, we have a lot of practical options to deploying uh, broadband services uh, with the uh, with the push that we've had with fiber it makes uh, the new 5g technologies uh, much more viable for in-home internet uh, fiber to the home we're delivering multi-gig services and then uh, fixed wireless technology has evolved greatly so there are many different technology options available and um, as as carrier market, um, starts to plan their respective architectures, really got to look downstream at, uh, today to ensure that those materials are going to be available when you need to get your network deployed. Because with Dardoff, there are milestones that have to be achieved. Um, so uh, the technologies have really, um, stood up to the, the broadband demands. I think, you know, the key here is the push for fiber, right? Once you get fiber so deep into the network, it makes all of the different uh, last mile technologies viable. And especially in a rural environment, uh, to have fixed wireless uh, as a viable option uh, is very significant because that's, that's gonna be the most cost effective way to get to those subscribers and, and to be able to offer the type of bandwidth that enables some of the use cases that Jim mentioned earlier, um, that's what's gonna give consumers uh, the benefit of, of RDOF. Yeah, I think uh, we talked about supply chain, uh, business as usual versus RDOF. Um, the key difference is just scale. Uh, today we have so many uh, more carriers looking to deploy big broadband networks. Um, you know, we have our business as usual, usual volumes and with RDOF and, and all the organic capital investments that just about every carrier is making, it has uh, increased demand uh, three, fourfold in some product categories. So, um, you know, here I show that we need accurate forecasts uh, the supply chain, quite frankly, has gotten to the point where even an accurate forecast isn't going to be good enough. Uh, you almost need committed forecast. And if you really want to ensure success, you got to get out there and place your orders uh, far in advance to make sure that the materials that you want are going to be available. Uh, the next couple bullets uh, really go together, material and product availability and, and rising material costs. Uh, we're in an inflationary environment. Uh, for most of my telecom career, 
Um, I've had the good fortune of maybe one or two uh, commodity vectors going up at a given time, but they've they've usually subsided uh, after a, a, a certain period of time. Right now, uh, everything, every cost vector is going up. Uh, so it, it really becomes a, a, a tremendous challenge to manage both uh, availability and, and that cost side of the equation. Availability is is often there. It comes down to as as many of our suppliers have told us, what you're willing to pay for it. So, um, you know, at Amphenol, we try and absorb what we can, but uh, in in reality, the the cost situation is beyond uh, absorbing it. So, uh, we try and work with our uh, carrier customers and, and let them know in advance where some of the pitfalls are with their architectural approaches. So that way. Uh, you can plan more effectively and, and come in within the cost targets that um, have been laid out. The logistics uh, are also a challenge. Uh, prior to the, the pandemic, it was like clockwork. You can get your uh, product from Asia in four weeks, you'll receive it a week to, to clear customs and get to your factory here. Uh, that's not true any longer. It, it takes almost three times as long to, to arrive. And God forbid, if you wanted to get uh, in the belly of, a, of an airplane, that used to be a three or four day uh, trip. And now that's turned into, you know, two to three weeks. So uh, about the only thing that uh, is abundant in today's supply chain is uncertainty. So there are a, a great deal of challenges. I think on the engineering side, um, as, as you make decisions on how you want to approach your architecture and, and do your technology uh, planning, um, you know, the one thing that always uh, jumps top of mind for me is how do we help stretch these federal dollars as far as possible? Um, you know, and, and decisions of going buried or aerial impact that. You know, do you want to go and, and capture your aerial uh, regions first, so that way you can deploy more and uh, hit more customers so you can hit your milestones? Or do you wanna look at your buried because with aerial, you're susceptible to storms and, and outages uh, more than you are with buried. You've got decisions to make on uh, whether you wanna invest in sealed connectivity. Can you get the labor to do the splicing and the traditional construction methods, or does sealed connectivity help you get things done uh, better, faster with less labor that uh, that is available today? So, uh, all sorts of challenges. Um, you know, there are other challenges uh, out there, but um, I'm going to have uh, Todd step in here and and share some of the the other challenges on the engineering front. Thank you. Thank you, Manesh. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, as we look at engineering, uh, design engineering, architecture of fiber networks, one of the key things that Manesh had pointed out was the, uh, the ability to stretch federal dollars. And so with our experience uh, looking at a number of projects that we have in our portfolio, the number one thing to understand is that the geography of the rural um, networks has a very... Um, it can have a very fluid uh, layout and with respect to pole attachments, um, municipalities and, and power companies, either co-ops or 
or investor-owned may have options to attach to polls, which could be a perhaps a better price to the end customer. But we also look at running construction through um, underground or buried applications to help mitigate um, time delays. And so one of the things that the, um, the options that we have available to us is with certain materials like ADSS uh, cable, there's options to help reduce and predict better make ready results. And so depending on the um, health, the network has, uh, if the plant network has a uh, very good poles and the class of poles are sufficient for the region, then the make ready can be managed. And, and these options are available to the um, developer as we're looking at uh, construction planning. So on the construction aspect, so it was very interesting to see the survey results come back tied with uh, bureaucracy. And so your construction partner is really the folks that help bring all these things together. So from a supply chain partner, Amphenol has a fantastic uh, global reach and that has significant uh, impacts on production. And so production for us is, you know, how much fiber we can build in a network over time and with with the crew you know the crew status that we have right now we can predict these these um, outcomes pretty easily as long as the supply chain is in check and so i see one of the notes here getting labor force in markets where we're going to be you know, it's going to be really difficult and so in rural environments what we've uh, actually been able to deliver to the field is a regional what i'll call regional clustered approach and so say in the mid, um, in the Southeast states where we have presence in say, Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, uh, reaching over to Georgia, we have regional um, offices that help us bring in skill sets and talent that we need. So that one of the challenges we do have is the experience with craft. And so fiber technicians, both installation, um, you know, folks that are actually journeymen that can work in the power space, it's really key to attract that type of craft. And those resources are, you know, in a number of ways, um, actually, you know, it's, it's our biggest challenge from um, actually recruiting those folks. But once we have them on the team, what we've been doing primarily that's been helpful in a region where we're uh, producing uh, really good results with the team on, on site, we will hire from local communities and we will also train um, the customer's uh, te technical staff as required. And so what we've done in many cases is if we develop um, some good technical craft personnel in an area, those technicians are offered to stay with the, um, say it's a power co-op um, in, in a small region, they're actually offered to stay with the uh, power co-op and, and stay on from a maintenance expect, uh, experience. And so that helps to shore up the customer and, and what we're challenged with then as we go to mobilize in other you know, areas around those regions, we'll have to backfill for those um, resources. I'd say in a limited workforce, there are a significant amount of openings and we are very um, focused on the training. So I'll get to the training in one, in one aspect here in a minute, but the availability uh, to bring in people for us on a national level is pretty strong. And so we're part of a, luckily part of a very large um, parent company and there's almost 50,000 employees. And so there is the option to bring in skill sets and talent from other, other regions. 
Um, I do want to focus on the training. So the training for us is extremely important. And we train for a number of different applications, both aerial placement of fiber, underground construction. We've also done some cross-training from um, power line journey linemen that are actually cross-training to fiber um, technicians, both um, you know, hanging the fiber on the pole and also splicing. Splicing is a key aspect. We have just recently uh, made some significant investments in resources, tools, uh, to help mobilize these splicing teams across the country. Uh, the cable and conduit placement training is also very important. And we work with our suppliers and our partners to help ensure we're training on the most uh, highly technical advanced equipment available. And so what we see is a lot of partnerships with folks who produce the cable and the conduit and other, other types of materials. So we can teach the, you know, the, the current um, standards of the application. Um, copper twisted pair is a bit le less uh, aggressive these days, but the central office, so the inside plant technicians, we also have training facilities for them. And again, those folks, um, the customers that have resources that are already, you know, in their company, if they can uh, receive additional training, it's very beneficial for that customer. And it's beneficial for us because those resources have experience basically knowledge of the network internal to that company. And then the last thing is wireless engineering. We have um, brought on significant amount of wireless support. And so what we're able to do is train for fiber, basically to the tower, to the pole, to the antenna, and then we can apply that training towards the wireless engineering as well. I think wireless engineering is a very, very um, important part of our future in rural America where we can bring fiber to you know every every farm on the land. However, within as we talked about earlier, within those regions that are widespread, we want to see how far that, that wireless technology can expand beyond the you know agricultural areas. So I, I do want to bring up kind of as a as a summary view the engineering aspect where we can make decisions of applying. Uh, fiber e either to the pole or actually the underground aspects, but with pole attachments and make ready, again, the certain the certainality of the application really um, begs towards the you know, discussion about planning. And Manesh talked about planning. So materials readiness, um, the timing to the site, the yards that we set up, all of these factors play into the planning with the customer to ensure that we can predict the uh, assurance of the network availability. One of the things that I did want to talk about is the, um, you know, the, the products that are not available. So in any material, uh, bill of materials plan, there's a number of, um, you know, resources and, and vendors and unless um, you can kick in here in a minute. So what I wanted to talk about is when there's shortages or supply chain, um, you know, concerns, there is a way for us to actually address other options. And so, those sourcing those options, Manesh, I think, as you talked about it, if plastics are in short demand in one area, um, could you offer some of those suggested alternatives that could help us um, shore up that supply chain? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the different materials, the different products, there, there's many different ways to make uh, a, a point of presence in, in the telecom network. Uh, we work with customers all the time to try and find capacity 
using whatever processes, whatever capabilities that, that we can scrounge up. Um, every day, it, it, it's, it's a matter of how tenacious uh, you can be to solve the given problems. Um, you know, the, the supply chain is taxing. The recent events um, really highlighted some other things, other challenges that are coming up. Uh, who would have thought that uh, stainless steel hardware is going to be a problem? Well, uh, apparently 15 to 20 percent of the world's nickel comes out of Russia. So obviously that has caused a hiccup. So we're, we're constantly scrambling to identify alternative solutions uh, to overcome the supply chain uh, challenges. And then in the solutions that we work with delivering to customers, we're always looking at uh, alternative ways to shorten that, that lead time to the, to the product that a given job was engineered to. That's helpful. And, and one of the key aspects of this, um, the reason Manesh was offering those, uh, those, those options within a construction environment, you know, things can go wrong, whether, you know, delays in permitting right away uh, placement, um, those approvals, you know, sometimes get delayed. And so what we need to really be able to do is be flexible, both with supply chain expectations and implementation. So production can have, uh, you know, significant impact on the time of the project, the cost of the project. So what we really want to do is have those options available to us ahead of time. And with regard to, you know, experience, I think we've, we've made a really good dent in the the resources that we do train and bring up to speed are retained within our company and we, we want to hold on to those valuable resources and then perhaps move them around where we can to help, you know, other areas where we might be short. Um, you know, the, the one thing uh, that talks through, you know, there's a discussion here about kitting, having those um, materials and supply chains in, in an available manner where those kits can be available to us from, from a construction aspect is really helpful. So I think it's really important for the, the vendors that support supply chain, as well as the, the vendors that support the construction are working together hand in hand to ensure, you know, predictable schedules. Um, and then, you know, one of the, one of the ways we can help is, um, and Manesh mentioned it earlier, is we have, considered uh, large volumes of supply chain uh, allocation for our pre-buys on, on cable. Um, you know, we're looking at years ahead now as far as cable allocation and trying to secure product and supply chain certainty around the uh, purchasing, pre-purchasing of those kind of aspects. But so we're really interested in working with Amphenol and, and the partners to adopt a go-to-market strategy that really allows us to be certain towards schedule and especially the budget. And so those, those two things go also hand in hand. We wanted to assure that the, um, that the challenges we see here in some of these slides can be, not, if not avoided, can actually be addressed and mitigated. And I need some water. <laughs> That's my slides. Thank you. All right, thank you very much, Todd. That was really interesting. Thank you, Manesh, for chiming in there as well. I particularly found the wireless engineering quite interesting. I'd like to hear more about that at a future point. Um, but let's move on to our second uh, audience poll question. It should be up on your screens now. Uh, the question is, knowing that proper training of new staff is key to successful RDOF deployments, 
What sort of training is your organization doing to prepare? And once again, we give you six choices. Please select one. First choice is um, uh, aerial line placement. Second choice is underground construction. Third is fiber optic cable splicing. Fourth is cable and conduit placement. Fifth is residential and multi-unit insulation. And sixth is once again, uh, other. Uh, once again, we'll take the ON24 system a minute or so, the compiler results. So we're waiting for them. Let's um, let's go to Todd on this one. Todd, um, can you uh, fill us in a little bit more about um, construction training and what's uh, what's what's going on with that right now? Yeah, that's a great question. So from a facil facilities aspect, um, we actually own and operate uh, Northwest Lyman College in Lagrange, Texas. Mm -hmm. My voice is fading, uh, <clears throat> but we have four sites around the country and. Uh, Happy to provide follow up with the uh, with the audience here as a, at a later date. But I got to get some water. <laughs> sure, I totally understand. I run into that problem a lot too. So okay, so let's let's take a look at our poll results here. Um, let me expand this so I can see it a little bit better. I'm going to go off camera so I can read it a little easier. And looks like the lead result here was at the very bottom. Um, at 30, 31% uh, was other. Okay, well, we'll go away from other. Uh, the lead of the, the choices was fiber optic uh, cable splicing at 23%. Um, and then it's pretty well spread out. Uh, about six, 15% said residential multi-unit insulation of the same amount said um, cable and con uh, conduit placement. So really the results are pretty spread around here. There's no one thing that stands out. Uh, Todd, is this what you expected to see or um, um, any surprises? The splicing was very, very predictable. I think that's a very uh, important aspect of fiber deployment. I'd be really interested in the other, what concepts might those be? And it, and it may be geared maybe towards inside plant applications. I'd be open to the audience to kind of explain what they're looking for. Okay. All right. It looks like we'll have to go back to this another time to find out more about that. So very interesting. Thank you all for participating in both our polls. Uh, thanks to Todd and Manesh for doing this last um, presentation, and we hope that Todd can get his voice back. So we'll give we'll give we'll give him a little chance to rest and, and and have some water. Okay. So now it's time for our formal panel discussion. We. And we'll try to integrate audience questions in with this as well. But let's start with the first question here that's up on your screen. What are a few of the key construction practices that can help launch a successful fiber to the X project? Todd, are you okay with this? Or should we skip over this and come back to you later? No, I think I'm good. I've got my voice back. Um, I think it's allergies and uh, lots of pollen in the air. So key construction sure. practices would be, um, you know, one of the, one of the the primary things that we talk about in our planning is permitting. So permitting from a uh, civil engineering and applications process in the right of way and the easements is very critical to the planning early stage in, in any development. So I think that's one of the um, abilities that we have is to work with the, the customer to ensure that um, either on their side or we can bring in resources, but it helps, it helps to predict better the uh, design for constructability when the permitting is is in process and, and available for predictable results, meaning 
what's the timelines to results. Okay, thanks, Todd. Manesh or J and Jim, did either one of you want to chime in on that one? I'll take that as a no. Okay, we'll move on to the next one. Uh, what are some ways to streamline production of OSP construction in the field? Todd, we have you on the hot seat again here. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, the, primarily the supply chain and materials allocation and the timing of delivery to the field is really critical. So that mm -hmm. streamlining can allow us to, to plan for segments to be built and also be really flexible. And the kitting and inventorying management from the partners is really helpful as well. It just allows us, again, more certainty on what's ready, what's ready to go to the field, and when can those, those segments be delivered and accepted. Okay, all right, thanks. Does anybody else want to chime in on that? No? Well, we're gonna, okay, go ahead, uh, Jim, Manesh. Oh, no, I'm sorry, Alan. That's, uh, certainly, I guess as far as outside plan, to add on to Todd's comments, uh, when you look at it that way as well, you know, one of the important factors in streamlining production and, and, and really addressing the RDOF concerns is adequate forecasting, right? As Manesh right. alluded to, get your orders in now and get them in often, uh, is that just to plan and pre-plan, uh, especially when we, when we take a step back and look at the timelines for, for RDOF deployment, uh, you know, 40% right. within the first three years, 20% thereafter and 100% within the six years. It's a seems like a long time, but it's not in the scheme of things. It's it's a very tight time frame, especially with the conditions of today. Okay, thanks, Jim. Uh, third question here: What are some key resources that the construction team can contribute to the overall effort? Yeah, my my experience is um, working with the the incumbent customer. The uh, construction superintendent is a key. Uh, resource um, they can mm -hmm. often uh, you know act as the executive sponsor for the program and these superintendents work hand in hand with the materials management teams both with the um, with the, the vendors that are providing supply chain uh, and logistics support and that that again works hand in hand with delivery to the field and mm -hmm. you know just basically uh, focus on project management and you know, reporting, reporting with the customer, you know, daily, weekly, monthly, that's really important. Okay, thanks, Todd. Uh, next question. What are some important areas to focus on for construction documentation? So in my experience, um, you know, managing expectations up front are the best way for success. So if supply chain logistics, um, material planning, goes hand in hand with construction produ production rates and predictable schedule. I think having that ex uh, expectation defined during that planning session in a, in a detailed statement of work is extremely important. So that document will keep everybody tied to the focus points and then those changes that need to be um, a pre, you know, addressed during the program can be addressed out, outside of the statement of work. But I think that's really important set everybody's expectations up front and then mm -hmm. plan for success. Okay, thanks Todd. Jim and Manesh, did either one of you want to add anything to that? Okay, I'll take that as a note. Okay, uh, next question, I moved on to a new slide for this, is in this difficult supply chain environment, how can network providers help equipment manufacturers? Who wants to take a stab at that one? 
So let me uh, let me tackle that one. And, and sure, sure. Uh, Mr. Sponsors would, would probably cover all three of the uh, remaining panel questions uh, or discussion points. Uh, okay. the, the biggest challenge uh, really is, is, is labor. And one of the ways that uh, equipment or network providers can help is to take a look at the logistics and how mm -hmm. they utilize our available labor. Uh, as manufacturers, we wanna allocate our, our labor to create the most output possible. Uh, however, one of the challenges is because we're trying to get materials out to so many different job sites, uh, we're, we're kind of being turned into a distributor as well. So right. uh, small order quantities going to many different places. So rather than having uh, a few more people working on the, the assembly lines, we're having to allocate that precious labor, that limited labor onto uh, you know, shipping and receiving activities that also have, uh, have grown exponentially uh, mm -hmm. with the demand. So it's, it's how do you utilize the, the, the labor that's available to you? And I think you know, on the construction side, it, it's really the same challenge that, that Todd talked about. You wanna plan and optimize uh, the, the available personnel you have. So okay. I, I think that's a, that's a universal challenge today. Okay, thanks Manesh. Jim, did you wanna add anything to that? Well, I believe Manesh certainly hit it on the head as far as you know the labor challenges and the fluctuations of production up or down. And I know I've probably commented once or twice on it, but but honestly, you know, forecasting was always a dirty word uh, in, 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 for many years. But now certainly it's it's hit a critical point, and you know, working hand in hand with our service providers and customers, uh, it's become a, a focal point, and it's really turning turning the tide in, in trying to have ourselves as as a vendor and network supplier get ahead of the curve and right. certainly the one thing that could impact it primarily would be just extreme expansion or contraction of that forecast in a short period of time as mm -hmm. uh, i think everyone on this uh panel can allude to but just wanted to add that one comment on the on the Manesh's point sure uh todd did you want to have the last word on this yeah i think i think what was covered is uh you know relevant and we are seeing ch changes in uh, time, but we're also seeing, um, you know, additional funds coming down the pipe. So I think being able to work with uh, the incumbent customers and the supply chain partners and uh, in hand in hand with construction delivery, I think we've got fantastic uh, future ahead of us. Okay, thank you all. I'm going to turn to one of the audience questions here. I'm not sure any of us can answer this, but I'll throw it out there. Uh, what do you ex when do you expect additional funds to be released for RDOF builds? Anybody have a sense of when the feds are going to go to phase two? Uh, this is Todd. So, you know, I, I think there's a high degree of, um, assurance that the mapping needs to be completed before maybe some of these other um, funds are released. But I, I, from what I've seen uh, and, and spoken with folks that in the know, it's, it's the FCC's maps that have been in that process of a refinement. Um, and it, it looks like, you know, third, fourth quarter of this year, perhaps maybe into next year when those maps might 
he's starting to come around again. Okay. So, uh, so how much of the funding has actually been released so far? Do you have a sense of that? Of the 9.2 billion? I don't have the exact numbers, uh, Alan. Sure. I was trying to find that and I couldn't find it uh, anywhere online. So uh, maybe even the SEC doesn't even know yet how much, how much is out there. Okay. Um, I think we covered all the questions here, but I want to see if anybody else wanted to add anything about the biggest challenges in manufacturing today and what the, and what they, uh, what they're seeing right now is manufacturing, uh, fiber for and other and related products for, uh, art off build outs. Um, you know, from the manufacturing side, everybody is trying to work on uh, expanding capacity. Right. And um, as much as everybody wants to expand capacity, the equipment that you need to um, increase output isn't available quick. So we're doing a lot to uh, expand our operations and um, mm -hmm. lead times for equipment is uh, astronomical. And everyone is uh, working to try and pull that in, but uh, expanding output is challenged. So we, we focus where we can, uh, the things that you control, uh, trying to get more labor to better utilize the equipment that you have today. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, there, I, I haven't found any part of the economy that isn't constrained right now. Right. How, how long is the lead time now? How, how, how... How long are the supply chain delays right now? It depends on the, the commodities, but uh, let, let's just stick with uh, capital equipment. I mean, most capital okay. equipment is, is 36 to 40 weeks um, before you take delivery of the equipment, and then you got to get mm -hmm. it positioned and uh, turned up. Okay, so 36 to 40 weeks, so we're talking about like 9 to 10 months? Yes. Okay. Is that getting better or worse? <laughs> is it? Uh, it, it? It seems to be getting longer. Really? Okay. Yeah, you know, the, the, the challenges are, are out there. Okay. Todd, are you seeing that as well? Yeah, to Manesh's point, it, we see things getting longer because with the additional funds in the in the funnel and you know private equity money coming in, other other promises of federal funding, it, it's. You know, unfortunately, it might get a little worse before it gets better until everything catches up. Um, and, and at that time horizons, you know, anybody's guess. But the important thing is for us to, you know, plan diligently for those uh, to, to the scale, to Manesha's point, and mm -hmm. uh, get those orders in uh, with, with predictable accuracy. And, and then, you know, things are better. Okay. Jim, did you want to add anything to that? I guess one final point on top of Todd and Manesh's comments. Uh, yeah, certainly, uh, when you look at ARDOF today and, and the demand, it's you know 5x what it was a few months ago. But also, there's some other service providers that are doing large-scale build-outs at the same time that are outside of ARDOF. So the demand on raw fiber uh, and products across the board is, is unprecedented. We haven't seen it in a long time in this industry. Uh, so when you put the freight and material challenges in conjunction with the factory labor, uh, mm -hmm. It certainly has its challenges, but you know, I'm going to flip this around and put a smile on it. Provides a lot of opportunity as well. Uh, so, from for Todd and Manesh and myself, it's uh, it's high demand, uh, right. but at the same time, we're, we're doing what we can uh, 
to certainly help out all our service providers and our partners and customers. Okay. All right. Thank you all. All right. We have time for a couple more questions. Uh, but before I ask anything else, just want to point out that we should have an evaluation form on your screens. Please complete the form to give us some feedback about the session. To complete the form, uh, please press the submit button, uh, submit answer button at the bottom of the page. Thanks. Okay. So while you're doing that, I'll go ahead with uh, a couple more questions. Uh, we don't, don't have a lot of more time. I'm curious to the panel, um, given the supply chain problems, given uh, some of the other constraints, when we do this webinar, say, in, in March 2023, what do you think will be different? What will be different a year from now? Um, I didn't prepare you for this question, so I apologize in advance, but I know you can all answer it. So, um, uh, Jim, uh, you want to start us off on that? What will be different a year from now? Aside from me getting a bit older and a bit grayer. Um, <laughs> no, but you'll still have your hair. No, that's no. Cats. That's, it's getting shorter and, and it's falling out. That's okay. <laughs> no, Alan, I, I, would, I would believe, you know, this time next year, um, as Manesh alluded to as well, you know, we're seeing conditions deteriorate in, in some, some ways. But, you know, the, on the flip side, based on all the demand, we're ramping up capacity, ramping up expansion, you know, brick and mortar facilities, um, adding mm -hmm. on tooling. So I think we'll be better prepared to handle the demand. Uh, you know, the state of the world and the raw materials, I, I think at that point, it could be anyone's uh, guess what 2023 will bring. But right. I know from an animal perspective, we'll continue to uh, to build and, and ramp for this long-term production. Okay, fair enough. Manesh, what will be different a year from now, if anything? What will be different is we will have some of our investments uh, putting out product. So. Okay. We should be uh, able to start to catch up uh, with the with the demand that we have visibility to. Um, the the thing that keeps me up at night is what demand do we not know about yet, and uh, okay. uh, what are we going to have to do to react to it? And that's why my comments earlier, um, you know, planning, forecasting, getting your orders in, uh, we need that visibility because without that visibility. What we may have expanded to meet may not be adequate. Right. Okay. Well, I hope you don't have too many sleepless nights over it. Um, Todd, Todd, you get the yeah, final I think word on this. Yeah, as Jim said, we'll we'll be way, um, much better prepared in, in a year from now where our regional focus allows us then to be more mobile within that region. And so now we've got more than east-west, we've got a number of, of of smaller sub sub regions that allows us to get um, to meet customer demands a lot a lot more quickly and, and with less cost. So predictability on that, I think, will be key. Okay. Well, thank you all, gentlemen. Well, I'm afraid we've run out of time, but I want to thank you all out there for attending. And I want special thanks to our three main speakers today: Jim Kane and Manish Patel from Amphenol and Todd Richard from Mears Group. Let's give them some awesome thumbs up out there. Uh, this webinar will be archived on the Lightweight actually on the Broadband World News website for the next year, starting early next week. Within the next 24 to 48 hours, you should receive a personalized follow-up email with links, details, and a link to today's presentation on demand. So feel free to review the webinar whenever you'd like over the next 12 months. This webinar is copyright 2022 by Light Reading. The presentation materials are owned or copyrighted by Light Reading, Amphenol, and Mears Group. These three companies and their speakers are solely responsible for their content and their opinions. On behalf of all of us here, thanks for tuning in today. Be well, stay safe, get boosted, and take care, everybody. We'll see you soon. Thank you, Alan.